Does everyone want to hear my New Year's resolution? You all want it because you want to put it on your Facebook status after I say it. It's okay. My New Year's resolution is to be able to remember that I'm in 2019, not 2018. That's a good one, right? How many of you are filling out that stuff? 2018. Oh my gosh, I'm still doing it. It's June 2019. New Year's is a great time for us to step into a new season in our life. Amen? It's cool that we have that opportunity to look at our schedule and our year and know that at some point it's going to end and start anew. Uh, for those of you that are optimists, you are waiting for the ball to drop like this, like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a new year. I can't wait. I'm so excited. For some of you, you're a little bit more pessimistic and you're staying up long enough just to make sure that 2018 was far behind you. Either way, we look to celebrate this new year and this new season, and it's exciting. I did some research on uh, kind of the most popular New Year's resolutions. The number one New Year's resolution in America is to get skinny. Yep, really concerned with changing the world with that one. The second one, number two, most popular New Year's resolution is to get rich. Wow. We Americans really want to change the world. We just want to be skinny and rich. But here's the deal. They've done some more research and found out that Americans were so good at our New Year's resolutions that 80% of us stop our New Year's resolution by February 1st. So we end up just fat and broke in the New Year, <laughs> yet wanting to change the world. <laughs> It is a new year, and it's a new season, and it's a great opportunity in our schedule of our year to focus on the things we want to become or the things we want to have better in this year. Uh, in the late 50s, early 60s, there was a thing called visualization that came on the scene. It was really popular, and it's kind of come to the forefront again today. And it's this idea that you can visualize with your mind's eye your future and what you would like it to be. And so athletes start hiring sports psychologists to visualize their victories or visualize faster times or submissions in the UFC cage or whatever it may be that they would spend time visualizing what they wanted the outcome to be. And then in that visualization, when it came time to execute, many times that they would execute at the level that they visualized. Now, fascinating thing that science has discovered that the human brain, when it interacts with reality and says, I can see that I'm grabbing this table. The brain reacts a certain way. But when the brain thinks that I'm grabbing this table, the brain reacts the same way. But the brain actually has the same functions that happen regardless of what's happening in reality or happening inside of the brain. Now, how many of you here have heard of virtual reality? Okay, some of you, it's taken a rise recently. It's where you take a screen, you put it about this close to your face, against the will of all your parents, who many of you grew up and said, don't sit so close to the TV. Well, now they put it this close to your face with a bit of binoculars and a little black box to black out all the light so that your eyes are completely immersed in this little screen. That way that it can trick your brain into thinking that what it is seeing is reality, even though it's just virtual reality. But what they found is using virtual reality has created therapy for the human body particularly amongst people who suffered loss of movement because of strokes. They found that when a human would wear a virtual reality thing, and in that virtual reality they would see their limbs moving and working, that the 
brain would respond as though those limbs were working and start directing blood in the brain and begin to repair passages in the brain, and those people would get movement of those limbs back again. They've even had one guy who had no use of his legs begin to get use of his legs through therapy sessions with this virtual reality. Why? Because they've discovered that as you visualize what you want or what you want to see, as you practice doing it frequently and tirelessly putting an effort into that visualization, you can make your body do that exact thing. Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, talks a lot about this. He talks a lot about what you should be visualizing, but he uses this word called using your mind or what you put your mind into. He has lots of verses like be transformed by the renewing of your mind or um, focus your mind on things from heaven, not on things of this earth. Because Paul understood that there was power in what you focused your mind on. And what he was trying to get people to understand is that there's power in focusing our mind on Christ. That actually, Christ is even more concerned with you doing something new than you are. That Christ actually came to make you new. He didn't come just to make good, bad people good, though that might happen. He didn't come just to make poor people rich, though that might happen. He didn't come just to make weak people strong, which that might happen, or sad people are happy, which that might happen, or anxious people less anxious, though that might happen. No, Jesus came to fix a relationship between you and his Father, and then in doing so, he came to make you new. All of you, not just part of you. Oftentimes, we think of accepting Jesus or being religious as something that we add to our life, something that we add to our schedule. Yes, I'm a Christian. I put a time slot in my week to go to church. That makes me a Christian. It's an additional thing to my life, but Christ did not come so he would be an addition. Christ came so that he would be a revolution of your life. Christ didn't want to be something that was scheduled into your life. Christ didn't want to be something that was a fleeting thought once a week in your life. Christ wanted to be something that came into your life, consumed your life, transformed your life, and made your life new. Christ came to make us new. So as I'm praying for our community and leading up to this coming year, I thought it appropriate at the start of this year of 2019, what if we just started this year with the goal of being made new? So we're going to start a new series called Made New This Year. And the idea of being made new is not that we are made new inside of ourselves like our current New Year's resolutions, which again, I encourage all of you to keep all those resolutions and good luck beyond February 1st. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't have that, but what I do believe is that Paul illustrates something to us with this idea of when we find ourselves less within ourselves and more within Christ. When we find our identity less within ourselves and more within Christ. When we find our life less within ourselves, more within Christ. Paul does a great job of illustrating this. He says, I want you to put Christ on like new clothes. What does that mean? That means that God, being here, sent his son down to earth to come and do something for us that 
in giving of his life that we could stand in front of Jesus and he would clothe over us with his life so his father could look upon us and still see our beauty despite being in our sinful state. That we would put on Christ, that we'd put on his power, put on his strength, put on his will, put on his knowledge, put on his wisdom, put on his understanding, that, that we had the ability to put on Christ. And as we did so, we could grow into Christ as he began to grow into us. Why? Because Christ came so we could be made new. So he could make us new. I don't know about you, but I could do some good by learning some new ways of doing some different parts of my life. I'd like some new knowledge, or I'd like a new will, or I'd, I'd like some new hope here and there, or maybe some new wisdom or some new understanding. I'd like some new perspective or some new knowledge. I'd like to know that I'm a part of a new kingdom. <laughs> we can find that in Christ. We find that in Him. We talk about accepting Jesus into our heart, which is true. It's, it's allowing him into our life, but that's only so that we can then find ourselves into him. So that we can grow into him like a new pair of clothes. So that we can grow into who he is so that he can then plant seeds in us and he can begin to grow in us, making us new. Christ came not to be an addition to your life. He came to be a revolution. So Paul does this. He often writes letters to different churches in different cities. This new gathering of people that are believing this thing called the way. And as they fall in love with Christ and become part of the way, they're learning to practice what this means. How do I then begin to direct my efforts into becoming new in Christ? How do I then begin to grow my muscles in becoming new in Christ? How do I begin to become more mindful? How do I begin to visualize more of my life found in Christ? And this group of believers called themselves the way. They didn't have a specific building or a specific temple because they realized it was all of their life. It was 24-7, this growing process, growing in Christ as God grew inside of them. And then Paul wrote this short letter, four chapters, 90 or so verses to a little church group that he hadn't actually even visited in a place called Colossae. And we're going to look at this book known as the Colossians. And this short letter, Paul packs in this letter powerful truth of the importance of the centrality of Christ in your life. The importance of finding yourself in Christ and Christ growing in you. Of you putting the effort in to grow more in what it means to be made new. Now, I need to say something really quick. I you might hear me talk about this idea of effort in your faith and growing and making work. And I'm not saying that you do that to earn this. Everything's already been done for you. Christ already paid it all. He set it all up. He set the table. He put everything in order. He opened the gateway back home to the kingdom of God. He's welcomed you home. He's now called you an heir to his kingdom. He's called you his friend. He's called you his actual brother and sister. You're all part of it. It's all there. Now, we grow into it. Now, we start trading our old ways for his new ways. Now, we start trading our old knowledge for his new knowledge. Now, we start trading our old will for his new will. Now, we start trading our old understanding for his new understanding. Now, we start trading our old citizenship for his new citizenship. That, that's the prices of life that we grow into, knowing that at one point, 
we will step into what it truly means to live, and that is when we step into eternity with Him to continue to reign and live forever. But that process starts now, as we grow into this, as we grow in our maturity. So we're going to go through about 14 verses of the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Colossians chapter 1. We'll have it on the screen here, on the NLT version I'll be reading from. And in Colossians, Paul's going to do a great work to highlight the different aspects of life that are meant to be new. And he's going to do that in so many categories. And actually, in these first 14 verses, Paul's going to introduce themes that he's going to go through his entire letter and he's going to keep expounding upon. My heart in these next 14 minutes is to inspire you with these themes. We're going to go kind of quickly and briefly over them. We will go over them in more detail as we continue in this series entitled Made New, A Journey Through the Book of Colossians. But my heart in this morning is just to capture you in the understanding that so much of our life is needing to be made new as we find more of our life in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to get into this. And again, we're going to move kind of quickly. I'll try to speak not as fast, but know that we will cover these themes. If you hear some of them and go, oh, I wish we could pause on that one, don't worry. In the next couple weeks, we might have a whole sermon on that one. Uh, but this is more just to capture us in the heart of this new life, of this new way of living, of this new way of truly uh, being human. And, and in many ways, it's, it's new to us, but it's not new to God. It's how he always intended it to be. Uh, but he came to send his son to fix it, to call us back, to reconcile, to renew, to restore us into this new way of living. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. And Paul's going to get at it right away. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. It's a letter. Paul's right at the gate letting him know, and it's a letter for me, Paul, and my homeboy, Timothy. We're writing this letter to you. Now, what's interesting is Paul inserts something here to begin to show this new life. Because Paul says that this letter is for me, and I was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. Paul, right out of the gate, is saying, hey, this thing that I'm doing here, this writing of this letter, this explaining to you of this truth, this wasn't my own will. This is the will of my father. He's saying that there's a, a new will that I had to consider in my life that maybe I willed that I would do these other things, but this new will, this will came for the father, was a will that said God desired for me to be an apostle. Every human being has a will. If you don't know that, try babysitting for some of your friend's kids at two or three years of age and say you can't have any sweets, and you'll see a will really quick. We have a will to get things done. We have a will to do things. We have desires that we want to accomplish. Maybe more than ever before in our American history, our will is confused because there's so many things to put our will into. In fact, there's so many opportunities to put our will into things that we're almost paralyzed by analyzing all the opportunities. Paralysis by analysis. Because we're analyzing all these things that we think we should be putting our will into. And then we have this other thing that stirs up called FOMO, fear of missing out. Where we don't know if we should put our will into this because we might miss out on this. But if we put our will into that, we might miss out on that and we get stuck. That's the old way of doing things now. Because in Christ, 
Jesus has something to say about what you put your will into. Because Jesus has a will for your life. Jesus has something he actually has designed for you to do. Jesus has good works prepared in advance for you. That in Christ now, I can go to my Father and say, Hey, Lord, is there something you'd like me to be doing? See, we spend a lot of our times praying for Jesus to get involved in our plans. What Paul's saying is we need to spend more time praying for our plans to get into his plans. Because he has a will. There's a new will that as we let go of our will, our old will, we pick up his new will to do the things that God desires for us. May we consider at the start of this year that as Christians, Christ has a new will for us and we can choose to follow that will. Maybe we just need to ask him, Lord, what is your new will for me this year? Verse 2, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you heard the truth of the good news. There's a new will. And with this truth, there's a new hope. Humans want hope. If you don't think so, go to Amazon Prime, look at five-star dramas, and all the most popular binge-worthy dramas probably provide some form of hope. There's some form of situation that's happening in that movie that humans love to watch because it tugs a heartstring because it provides some hope. It's a brilliant piece of work, a film made years ago by some brilliant writers, has great theological themes in it, and has changed the world. It's entitled Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> and in this movie, Jim, a character played by Jim Carrey is approaching this beautiful woman, and he's trying to figure out if he has any hope to be on a date with her, if, if maybe his hope is maybe one in a hundredth chance that he could be with her. And she looked at him and said, no, probably more like one in a million. And he got so excited because there was a chance he could be with her. There was hope. Even the littlest amount of hope as humans, we will hold on to whatever amount of hope we can have. But here's the thing, that hope is temporary. The hope of getting a good job because you had the right education is temporary. The hope of maybe picking up the family business because it's supposed to be handed to you might be temporary. The, the hope of having all your issues solved, if you can find that, my, that right spouse, is actually temporary. How do I know? Because every one of us have probably faced moments in our life and those things didn't work out, and we found ourselves hopeless. But in Christ, there's a new hope that's eternal. It's already stored for us, locked up, waiting for us in eternity, protected by the all-eternal God, already handled. No one can touch it. It's not going there anywhere. It's for us. We have hope in eternity. We have a hope that can't be shaken. We have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have a hope that goes beyond time in this life. We have a hope that goes forever. And Paul's saying that in Christ, 
there's a new will for you. And in Christ, there's a new hope for you. We could go on and on for that one. That's going to have to be a different sermon. Continuing on, verse 6. This same good news of this hope and this will that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. This new will, this new hope creates new fruit. As human beings, we create fruit. Sometimes we speak that fruit out in the lives of people around us. Sometimes it's fruit within us, but we create fruit. I'm not saying we're fruit trees, although if I was one, I'd like to be a mango tree because that's the best tasting fruit. Actually, I wouldn't be a mango tree because you're allergic to mango trees. My wife's allergic. Okay. I still want to be a mango tree. Figure it out. We're not fruit trees, but what Paul's using the analogy is that fruit trees bear fruit. It's it's when they're planted and rooted and grounded, they begin to pull nutrients and it grows and all the things that happen, and they produce fruit. Humans also produce fruit. Many of you could say at points in your life, you've produced really good fruit. Some of us, I'm not saying it's you, I'll just look at myself, can say that a lot of times I produce some pretty bad fruit. The kind of fruit that's rotten, mushy, has brown spots that no one likes anymore. Yeah, I have the capacity to create that kind of fruit in my life. As human beings, you're going to create fruit. And some of you might have been satisfied with some of the good fruit you've produced. Some of you might say, hey, I'm kind of heavy on the bad fruit in my life. And maybe it's different seasons. But what Paul's trying to tell them here is that when you accept the new will that Christ has for you, when you step into the new hope that Christ has for you, now you get to produce a new kind of fruit. That fruit changes people's lives. That fruit is changing your life. We have the capacity to create new fruit, not in and of ourselves, but because when we find ourselves in Christ, we produce the new fruit that he wants to produce out of our lives. Verse 7, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Paul is saying there is a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new understanding that we can have within our lives. That we don't have to live based on the old things that we knew or our old knowledge or our old wisdom, our old understanding. That Jesus came to give new knowledge. When Jesus walked on the earth, he said a lot of different things. And you can open your Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see them written in red. You can see the dynamic and powerful things he said about how you're truly meant to be human and how you're meant to live new now because of him. But here's the radical thing about Jesus. He wasn't just some sage or prophet that sat up on a hill and spoke it down to people and wrote in gold letters and had them land on people's heads and they read it. No, Jesus walked it like he talked it. That's a song right now on the radio if you didn't know. Jesus actually spoke it and he lived it. He showed us what it's meant to live as this new human and he said, now you can do these same things and more in me. He gave us new knowledge, 
new understanding, new wisdom. I don't know about you, but I could use to learn some new ways of doing some things here. But it takes taking the time to learn that new knowledge, taking the time to learn that new understanding, taking the time to learn and glean that new wisdom. Paul's saying that there's a new will for you. There's a new hope for you. There's a new fruit for you. And there's new knowledge and understanding, not in and of yourself, but in Christ Jesus. Verse 11. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all of his glorious power so you'll have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be full of joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. There is a new power to have new joy that we gain an inheritance as being part of a new kingdom now living with debt-free hands forgiven of our sins. It's all meant to be new, but not in our own power, in the power of the risen Jesus. I don't know about you, but my power runs dry sometimes. There's moments where I get kind of hangry, and I get impatient with my kids, and I get impatient with my wife, and I get impatient with myself. There's moments where I'm fired up and everything's going good, but I'll tell you what, my power is not consistent. That's not the power Paul's talking about. Paul's saying there's a new power. That power is demonstrated, as he says in Ephesians, when God raised his son from the dead, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that now can dwell in you. Not because of you, but because of Christ. As you put yourself in Christ, you are being made new. There's a new will for you. There's a new hope for you. There's new fruit that you can produce. There's new knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. There's the ability to be a part of a, a new kingdom with new love and new joy. There is a new power to live your life accordingly. But you have to choose to be a part of that. You have to choose every day to make him part of your life. You have to choose every day to put on Christ. And as you put on Christ, allow him to grow into you. That's something you have to earn. It's something that we choose to learn to grow into. And what is it going to cost? It's only going to cost your old self. Which I don't know about you, but there's a lot of part of my life that, my life that I could probably do away with. And as we choose to give up our old self, my old will, my old hope, my old fruit, my old knowledge, my old wisdom, my old joy, my, my, my old fruit, my old kingdom. As I choose to give up these old things and choose to step in to Christ, everything is made new. This is the good news. This is what we can live for now, not later, now. That Christ would look at us and say, I've done it all. Put me on like new clothes. And as you choose to do that, I'm going to grow in you as you grow in me. And I will make.